It's good to see you guys. I, uh, I was here a few months ago with you guys, and you've done a little remodeling. I see. In the meantime, this is, this is actually great. And you know what's amazing is check this out. Have you guys played like Red Rover or anything like that? <laughs> he was saying you guys did some Rochambeau things and stuff, and maybe you can figure out a way to curve paper airplanes perfectly, like around the wall or something at your neighbor. Uh, but this is awesome. Uh, and here's why it's awesome. You need to know, we get to hear so many of the stories about what is happening down here in Mission Viejo. Every Tuesday we gather uh, as Mariner's Church and we tell stories about what God is doing on all of our campuses and in all of our church campus spaces. And so your staff, Mike and, and uh, Cole and Tim and everybody and John, and they come and, and they go, listen to what God's doing in the community. And you need to know it's not about the staff. The staff is fantastic. I love you guys. You know that. But it's about you guys because you guys are loving this community. You're loving your neighbors. You're loving people in your schools and in your workplaces, and it's making a difference in the community. And it's challenging and provoking and inspiring to us in the other spaces that make up Mariner's Church. So thank you uh, for inviting us to be a part of your story. Thanks for allowing me to be here today, even though you didn't get to choose it, but here I am with you. Mike's off at family camp, and he's like, Zimmerman, you have to come and be a part and speak to our community, and so I'm honored to be a part of that journey with you guys. Um, who needs Bibles? Raise your hands. There's Bibles that will be coming down the aisles with somebody holding them. They won't be coming by themselves. Um, raise your hand up real high. You're going to need one of these because this is what we do. We're continuing on in the series of John 3.16. So as we get started this morning, you can flip there, you can turn there in your little Blackberry iPhone, whatever thing you got, or in your pages. Uh, and let's just start by reading this verse together. Here we go, out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So last week, if you were here, you know you looked at the first two words, for God. And one of the most important things to hold on to in that is that it's not just knowing about God, but you can actually know God. But in the knowing of God, what's really important is you can never figure him out. So that's last week, right? Which is a good thing. This week, we're going to continue on through this verse at blazing speed and look at the next two words, so loved. And here's what's interesting is anytime we start talking about love in culture, our, our brains are just constantly filled with this word and we use it all the time. And I think it sort of just shapes our perspective of it, right? I mean, we talk about loving our family, our kids. Here's the deal. Turn to your neighbor right now. Tell them three things that you love. Go. Cars. I love shopping. That's dangerous. I heard shopping. We love food. We love cars. We love sports. We love football. Right? We love basketball. We love our neighbors. We love movies. We love romantic comedies. We love clothes. We love music. Right? The all-time classics. Um, all you need is? Right. Can't buy me? Right. And one of my favorite old-time Pat Benatar tunes, Love is a Battlefield, which many of us know that to be absolutely true, which maybe we should go to Fight Club and learn some things about that if that's part of the deal. We fall in love. We fall out of love, right? Valentine's Day thinks, seemingly thinks it's going to teach us lots about love through chocolate and flowers and spending lots of money on cards and things like that. Hallmark is so proud of us. And it tends to water down and sanitize this view of love 
And we tend to project that onto God then when we read the word love in the Bible. And there's something we need to understand is, see, in earlier generations, like when the Bible was written, this would have come as amazingly good news to them that God loved them. Because one thing they understood really, really well was the wrath and the justice of God. And if you've read through like the Old Testament at all, you sort of understand this picture. Like they get the sense of God of justice and of power and of wrath. So when somebody says God loved them, it would have been like, oh man, that's amazing. I've never considered that. Whereas in today's culture, I don't know that we really understand or consider much the wrath and justice of God. I think we sort of live in the God loves you side. You know, just this week, as I'm literally studying for this message, Wednesday afternoon, uh, one of the top 10 trending topics, that's a lot of T's on Twitter, even another one, uh, one of the top 10, like number four or five, was the phrase, God loves you. And so I just kind of scrolled through, and it's amazing, because everybody's just, oh, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And it makes it this amazing, sweet, kind of nice thing that we think. But this morning, what if it was God's love that actually made him radical and dangerous? What if it was the love of God and not the wrath of God or the justice of God that made him so terrifying? And here's what, the, here's what I mean by that. When you look at the word love in the biblical sense, it means to will the good of another. Okay? So now, what does that mean? What is, what is the ultimate good of another? Well, what's the first good we see in the Bible? Genesis, right? The creation story. Right, Genesis 1, he starts creating everything. God creates, you know, the earth and light and dark and the seas and the dry lands and all the animals and the plants and everything. And then he creates man in his own image and he says it's not good because it's alone, so we need a woman. And then he creates woman to be with man and he says that's that's very good, says all the guys. And all the women said, amen, because you're women and you know that, man, it's not a good thing for us to be alone. So you see creation, and what do we know about this? And he declares everything is good, right? And everybody's living together in harmony with each other, with creation, with God. It's good. But then we wreck it with our own selfish desires, right? And so from Adam and Eve on through our generations, it just creates this separation and it gets destroyed. And so if, if love, to will the good of another, is ultimately for God to restore and redeem things back to where it was good, that means he will relentlessly pursue you with his love because he is out to will your good. See, it's not that God's wrath or justice or that he's all-knowing or that he's big or huge or powerful you know what I mean? Those things are all great because it keeps him safe and at a distance. We can acknowledge all of those truths about him and he can stay way far away. But when he starts chasing us with his love, that's when it becomes a little more scary. Because we see that there's nothing we can do in our power or our strength to keep him at a distance. Right? And we'll try and medicate ourselves and we'll chase and settle for cheap imitations of love in this world. And God says, I will not allow you to do that. I will keep coming, and I will use anything in my power so that you understand the depths and the magnitude of my love for you. Do you see how that can be a little scary? It's not God's wrath. It's his love that causes him to relentlessly pursue. And so what if this morning we truly understood, maybe, something just clicked 
in us, in our minds, and in our hearts about God's love? What if we decided to embrace the reality of what God's love truly means here? God uses this language intentionally, right? He is the author of this whole narrative. He chose this word. What does he want us to discover this morning about who he is? Let me just pray for us as we get started. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a creator, that you are the author of life and of everything. Thank you that you designed us uniquely as we sit here today. You know our stories. Thank you, God, for who you are and for your love. And I pray today that you would help us to be willing to listen to your voice that is speaking to us. And I pray that you would just recalibrate in us, restore in us, expand in us the view of love that you have for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So John 3.16, for God so loved. Let's look at those two words. It's interesting, the first thing we notice, right, is that it's not God loves. It's not that God is loving the world. It's that God loved the world. And why the D? What does that mean? What does that represent? So let's look at that a little bit. In the Greek at this time, there were four words for love, okay? And the one that they use here is the word that we get agape love from, which is the most powerful, most meaningful, most significant, passionate love you could possibly describe. It's a love that gives when there is no expectation of return. So that's the word they're using here for love. And in the Greek language, this word love, basically it began in eternity. It originated somewhere back in eternity, and yet it continues on into the present forever. So the D is, doesn't make it a past tense. It's not like God loved you and then he doesn't anymore. It's that God loved way back here somewhere, and it continues on through present day and will continue on forever through every single generation. And we see this all throughout God's word. And I think we miss it, but let's take a look at it real quickly. Flip back to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Okay. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. He loves us with an everlasting love. The word everlasting in Hebrew, olam at this point, means that which is hidden or concealed. It describes the idea that God's love is coming from a place that is completely hidden and concealed. If you went on an investigative search to find out where and when exactly did God start loving, you could never find it because it's so far back in time and it's a mystery. It's totally concealed and hidden. You will never know or understand. That's how big it is. God loved. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Galatians, Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Okay, for all the Bible theologians, let's not get hung up on the predestination thing this morning. Okay, we're not going to argue that. Is it free will? Is it choice? Did God know? We'll do that another week. Okay, here's what's important. God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. 
So the account we just covered in Genesis, which is the beginning of our recorded story, God loved before that. Before He ever created the planets and the solar system, before He created this earth and this world and sea and dry land and plants and animals and man and woman and declared it good, God had already loved. Flip over to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Chapter 1, verse 2. It says, of faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God promised this life, this eternal life, which is a life that is in Jesus with God to restore us back to good. God had promised that before time. So you see where this is headed? Okay, God loved before its origins are completely mysterious. It's hidden and concealed. You can never discover it. God loved before creation. God loved before there was time. It gets better because I don't think you believe me yet. Look at Psalms. Look at the end of Psalms, Psalm 139. Verses 15 and 16. Psalm 139, 15 and 16 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before one of them came to be. Before we were born. Before we were created. God loved. He designed us specifically, uniquely. The way we look the way we think, the way we act, the gifts we have, our passions, our emotions, all of those things. Before any of them came to be, God is so loving and so detailed and so specific, He knew all of that. Why loved? Why loved? Do you see how huge this is? The origins, the beginning of God's love can never be found. It's a total mystery. God loved you. Before He created anything in this world, before the Genesis account, He loved Before time, night and day, hours, minutes had passed, God had loved you. Before you uniquely were designed and created and formed in your mother's womb and living your life as you come and sit here today, God loved you. It's not in the past. It's not something that's over. It's something that continues on and will continue on forever. And this is significant because love demands a sacrifice. And sacrifice requires action. And that's why we use loved, and that's the importance of the word so. Okay? So when it says, for God so loved, he's not going, oh, I love you so much. It's not about quality. Whoa, yes, I love you so much, says that baby. God says, I love you so much. It's not about quality. It's not about quantity. Okay? It's not that kind of a thing. The word so here means in this way. For God, in this way, loved. And then he answers that question. He uses that language because he's saying you can't understand God's love, so I had to demonstrate it for you, and I demonstrated it by giving my one and only son. Romans 5.8 says it this way. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul describes the action that God took 
because of his love for us while we were still sinners. Before you could ever do one good deed, before you could memorize one single verse, before you could give in the offering, before you could serve in the nursery or greet people outside, before you could choose God, before you could get rid of your addictions and your habits and your lust issues, before you ever could even acknowledge your sin, before you ever even knew God existed or acknowledged his love for you, God had already loved and given his son as a sacrifice for all of that. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says it this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God so loved, in this way, loved, initiating, relentless, pursuing, beginning kind of love that always has been and always will be, and he acted on that love before we ever even had a chance to acknowledge that as truth. God loved. Do you see how this is incredibly good news? Do you believe that as incredibly good news this morning? See, and and I get the fact that it's hard for us because we live in a culture that is all about after love, reciprocating love, not before love and initiating love. So we're sort of wired from the very beginning to respond in love, not initiate love, right? And we all grow up as part of this, and we don't even choose it or know it, it just happens, But from the time we're kids, what happens? We start being graded on tests. And maybe you grew up and you got 70s and you felt you should have gotten 80s or that's what the world told you. Maybe you made the sports team, but boy, you never played and you never started and you weren't enough there either. Maybe you got Bs and you should have gotten As. Maybe you never got the promotion that you should have had. And all of a sudden we get grades and we just become part of this performance-based system that makes us feel loved and valued based on what we do or how we perform or how we behave as opposed for just being and breathing. God's love is an initiating before kind of love. We are used to an after and a responsive, reciprocal kind of love. And we don't intend to, but it just becomes part of our thinking. I see this so much in my own life right now, especially in the context of parenting. And I have three kids, two boys and a girl, and uh, eight and a half and seven and five and a half. And I see this because they're starting to engage life and school and sports, and really subtly, I'm actually reinforcing this after kind of love thing. So last year, the boys decided they wanted to play flag football for the first time, and I'm like, great, awesome, you know, we're the, let them try anything they want and, you know, see what hits. So, and they're, they're a mess, quite honestly. I mean, they're, the, you know, they're getting flags on and they don't know how to even catch the ball yet or throw it. And, you know, they're looking at dandelions and watching guys run past them. And, you know, I have one son, my middle son, Tate, who just loves, he just practices flips. I don't know why. He just runs and goes, whoo, and wants to flip and lands on his back. And I'm like, you're going to kill yourself. This is why the game is happening. <laughs> right. So anyway, so after the game, what happens? We get medals, and we give them medals for, hey, here's the best touchdown of the day. Here is the best flag pull of the day. Or even behavioral stuff. Hey, you were a great listener today. You get the sportsmanship award. You get whatever. And I couldn't have cared less last year, but this year, I'm starting to care. 
Because they like know things now, and it's the, you know better. Like, you can't let run, guys run by you and stop making a bunch of moves. Just run up field. What are you doing? I'm reinforcing this subtly that when you perform, I'm going to be pleased and I'm going to be happy. I see it with me and my daughter. She's, she's five and a half. Her name's Cozy. And she decided this year for the first time she wanted to play soccer. And so she and some friends rallied. They're on a soccer team called the Rainbow Butterflies. Right, strikes fear and terror into the hearts of people everywhere. Parents, I'm on the side, go rainbow butterflies. This is not the proud dad moment that you wanted to have. But here's the deal, Cozy is so excited. She has the rainbow headband, they have rainbow socks. He loves it. And she's out there and she'll run and smile and laugh and have fun with her team. And last week I'm at the game and she comes out and she's sitting on a blanket with a couple of her friends. And it's time for her to go back in. So the coach, hey, come on, let's go cozy. She's like, no, I don't want to go back in. <laughs> because she's playing like with my little ponies or something on the blanket with a couple friends. She's like, I'm good. I don't, and I'm like, you do what your coach tells you to do. Like, you have to be a good listener. You have to participate with the team. You have to engage. And I'm like talking to Holiday, my wife, this week going, we got to have a talk with her about focus and intensity. <laughs> this is a five-year-old. <laughs> and it's about me. And so here's the deal. Very subtly... I just see the damage done in my own soul and how I'm perpetuating this after-performance behavioral sort of love that is so not the picture of God's love. And I can't help but let that thinking bleed into the way that I view God, and that's the way I think He views me. And so chances are, as we sit here today, there's a couple groups of people in how we respond to this. The first group of people is probably going to say, even if you could rally and say, I believe that God is like that and that he loves before and that he initiated and that it exists forever, amen, that's beautiful. But there's probably some of us who are sitting here going, that's awesome, but that is so not for me. For two reasons. Maybe you just aren't there and you just don't believe that yet, and that's okay. But sadly, maybe you do believe that and you think somehow... You've gone so far beyond God's reach or God's desire to be in relationship with you that there's no way he's going to relentlessly pursue you with his love. Maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, Kyle, this is nice and I believe that, but you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. You don't know the relationships that I've blown up. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I'm planning on doing today. You don't know my addictions. You don't know my issues with anger. A lot of us fall into the trap of believing that somehow we can get outside and beyond God's reach of his love. And over and over and over again in God's word, we see this story where he is sort of relentlessly putting this picture in front of us that says, you don't understand. I am not an after-responding love guy. I don't need you to get your act together or to do anything or to say anything before I loved you. I loved you. And I know. And there is nothing you can do to receive my love, and there is nothing you can do to lose my love. We see this all through the New Testament, over and over. 
right? We see Jesus living this out. Jesus touched lepers and demon-possessed people before He healed them. He invited Matthew and Zacchaeus into relationship before they were respectable people. He restored Peter back to ministry and said, I'm going to build my church on you before Peter had proven himself faithful. He pardoned the adulteress who had had five different husbands and was currently sleeping with another man before she said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. We see the picture of a father whose son takes all of his inheritance and goes out and blows it in the world and lives the craziest life And before he's coming home, the father has a celebration prepared and is running to the son before the son says, I'm sorry. Over and over again, this whole story is about God's initiating before love. There is nothing you can do to earn it or to get it, and there is nothing you can do to lose it. You are not outside or beyond God's reach this morning. Romans 8, 38 and 39 gives us a beautiful picture. This is what Paul says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is Paul convinced? Well, neither death nor life. Why? Well, we looked at Psalm 139. God's love exists before and after our existence. Why not angels or demon or created stuff? Well, We know that God's love existed before creation. Why not the present or the future? Well, because we saw that God's love exists outside of time. Well, why not powers or boundaries or anything else? Well, we saw that God's love originated so far back that you will never be able to find its its origins. It's a total mystery. Paul's convinced because he knew God's word. He knew the story. He knew that God's love existed beyond all of these things. It always had been and it always will be. Paul knew. And God wants us to know today, you are not beyond the reach and the relentless pursuing love that I have for you. There's another group of people that are probably here this morning. And this is a group that somehow says, yes, I totally believe this story. I believe in God's love and it's awesome and I've received it and I'm I'm in. But subtly, the the shape and the pull of culture in our thinking causes us to believe that, that we have to to earn it. That somehow we have to behave well enough to stay in, in God's love and in God's favor. And this is me. This is, this is much more of my story. I said yes to Jesus when I was like five years old. And every journey since then has just been an ongoing sort of process of learning and unpacking more about who God is. And for so many years, the first 25 years probably my journey, I didn't know a lot about what freedom in Christ really looked like. See, my view of God wasn't this relentless, loving, always have loved, always will love, always love in spite of, or just regardless. That was not my view of God. My view of God was somehow that he was this giant dude in like white robes, huge things, and like a triton sword with a big finger ready to go, you screwed up. That's the way I view God. I was scared of God's wrath, of God's justice. 
I didn't understand the radical love, the terrifying love that was pursuing me at the time. And about 10 or 15 years ago, God started recalibrating my life because, you see, I'd show up at church and I'd give money and I'd read my Bible 30 minutes a day and I would, I'd journal and I'd be in relationship with people and I'd want to say, you got to know who God is. And I was doing all these things because I thought that somehow I was going to earn favor with God. Well, this is what I should do to make sure he's okay with me. And somehow that that would even make up for the bad things that I was doing or had done in my life. Like, i got to balance the scales. And finally one day I realized and I owned Romans 5.8 and the while I was still a sinner part. Because I was still a sinner and I was still a sinner and I still am a sinner. And so are you. And when you do that, that's where you start to find freedom, and that's where God can start to recalibrate our view of, of Him. And my life started becoming more of just an overwhelming response to God's love and realizing that I'm not good enough. And you know what? I never will be. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to get God's love and favor, and there's nothing I can do to lose God's love and favor. God loved And I began to see that. And my life has started to become so much more of a response to that love. So I want to look at God's word so I can understand these truths better. I want to share with people and my neighbors in conversation the beauty of God. About his love. About the freedom that exists. I want to give because it helps make my heart more of what God wants it to be. Generous and kind. Acknowledging that everything I have is his. I want to serve my church because it's a way to show the community and to serve you as church family. I want to do those things as a response, not to try and earn God's love. And it's interesting, the Bible gives us lots of pictures. We're going to look at a couple about how God views our attempts to earn his love. We need to know that the word righteous is is a good word. It's a positive term. It talks about healthy, right living with God. About understanding that we've fallen short of who He is, but we need His grace and forgiveness through Jesus, and we're just going to walk humbly with Him. That's sort of the sentence version of righteous. But when the Bible talks about our righteousness, that's actually a negative term. Because that's when it's referring to our attempts to earn God's love and favor. So let's look at a couple passages. The first one back in Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6. It says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So they're a negative term, filthy rags. Our attempts to earn God's love are like filthy rags. Here, graphically and honestly, The word filthy in Hebrew is the word menstrual. That's God's opinion of your best efforts to earn his love. Back in Philippians, Paul is writing about his own story. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I am faultless. And then he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul, here's what he's saying. I am the ultimate religious Jew. I have the right story. I have the right pedigree. I have the best history of anybody that could ever claim to earn God's love and favor, it's me. I am that guy. And he says, if you showed me a list of to-dos, I followed them all. I have lived the ultimate life of legalistic obedience. But then he comes to know Jesus, and we sense that turn in verse 7, right? He realized that what he was working for all along in those duties, he already had through a relationship with Jesus. He says yes to Christ, he gets rid of that burden. He realized all those good deeds meant nothing because of the power of Jesus. Verse 8, he says, I consider them rubbish. And that word is, is a couple of Greek words that are sort of smashed together. And it means that which is thrown to the dogs. Okay? So, a little context for what that means and the power of that. So, in this day... Um, they would all live together in really tight spaces, okay? And then they'd have walls around cities to defend and protect. And what would happen is, you know, they didn't have waste management and trucks and garbage cans. They'd sit out in front of their houses or any of that stuff, right? So they would designate a place over one of the city walls where everybody would throw their trash, their waste. Anything that wasn't needed for the household, garbage, trash, human waste, everything, over the wall. And there would be a fire burning permanently, to try and help reduce all of that trash. So you can imagine, right, the smell of burning human waste, food waste, trash, garbage, everything, constantly the aroma of that that exists, okay? Now, as part of that, there were dogs. And dogs in that day weren't, like, well-liked. They didn't hang out in the house. They didn't they weren't pets. They didn't walk around Irvine Spectrum and wear Christmas sweaters and stuff like that like they do today. <laughs> so all you animal dog lovers, I'm sorry. Dogs were hated. And so they were kept outside of the city walls. They were useless creatures. But these dogs would be constantly rummaging through that trash to keep themselves alive. Paul is giving us this incredible, vivid picture that all of his best attempts at earning God's love are worth that. God says, filthy rags. Paul says, total rubbish. You cannot earn God's love. You can receive it, and you can rest in it, but you can never earn it. Do you see how dangerous the subtlety of culture and our human thinking is when we start putting that and overlaying that onto the power of God's word. We take love and we reduce it to something that we think we can control and earn. And God, you got to think, he has to be so offended and sad when he says, you don't understand, I so loved before time, before creation. You, I loved you. I made you just the way I want you. 
And there's no way that there's anything you've ever done in your entire life that can put you outside of that boundary of love. And so to think that way must grieve him. And for some of us to think that we're going to earn and be on this treadmill of, God, I just have to work my way back to you. I can get there. I know I can. You're going to be happy with me. You're going to be pleased. You're going to give me that medal that says, oh, great job. And he's going, no, no. You're missing the point. I loved you. I loved you. Just this week, this is... um, I've tried to start recalibrating my love in my relationships with my wife, with my kids, with people around me, making it more of a before kind of love. I started thinking, what would it look like to give my boys a medal before their game? What would it look like to to throw a party before something good happens? They got home the other day, and I was inside the house already, so I yelled at the boys, and I'm like, boys, come in here! And I think they were like, oh, crap. Like, what'd we do? Because a lot of times that isn't good, you know what I mean? So they came running in. And I'm like, come here. So they kind of sheepishly walk up. And I just put my hands around their necks, and I looked at them. And I said, look me in the eyes. And I said, do you know that I love you? And one of them gave me a hug, and one of them just ran off. I want them to know it's not because they cleaned their room. It's not because they did their homework. It's not because they scored a touchdown. I love them. I loved them. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? This morning, maybe you are tired of trying to earn God's love. Maybe you're tired of trying to earn the world's love. God's inviting you to rest in his story of love. Maybe this morning you came in and you're that person that feels so far beyond God's love and redemption. God's inviting you to rest and receive and just come out of hiding let him love you he already does father this morning we thank you for your radical dangerous relentless love thank you for the way you pursue us consistently god i pray that you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to see the story that you are writing in our lives that are steering us and our hearts back to you. I pray this morning you'd help us to be honest in our brokenness and in our failure. And in that, that we don't have to be afraid. It doesn't put distance in our relationship with you, God. It actually moves us closer to who you are. Thank you that you loved. There's nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can do to lose that. And so God, for those of us that may feel like we're outside or too far beyond your love, I pray that you would just move close. That you would help them to hear your voice whispering to them 
just saying, I'm here and I love you. God, for those of us that are tired, trying to work hard to impress, impress you and impress the world around us, God, help us to rest and see that there is nothing we can do and there's nothing you're asking of us but to simply receive and rest in who you are, to trust, to live honestly and in response to your amazing love. Lord, help us to listen and just heal and expand our view of your love. Jesus, Lord of heaven, you I do not deserve the grace that you have given or the promise of your word. Lord, I stand in wonder. At the sacrifice you made With mercy beyond measure My debt you freely paid Your love is deeper Jesus, your love has no bounds. And Jesus, your love has no bounds. Stand with us. Let's respond and sing this together.
Yep. So this is kind of like one of those matrix red pill, blue pill kind of moments. Because now you know. And God does not want us to walk out these doors and settle for another cheap 